Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? Well, it was a Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, December 17th, 1903. The events that took place that Thursday morning would change the world forever. It would change how we live in the world forever. In fact, the events that took place that Thursday morning would change the way everyone would live on this planet. There's not a person that has not been affected by what happened that day. What happened on December 17th, 1903, literally brought the four corners of the earth closer together in length and breadth and time. You say, what happened on December 17th, 1903, 120 years ago? Well, the Wright brothers took their first manned motorized flight. And here's a photo of it right here. And it changed the world forever. Think about it. Not even 40 years later, we were fighting World War II in airplanes, shooting each other out of the sky. Wow. Well, welcome to Emmanuel. It's good to see you. <laughs> if this is your first time at any one of our locations, we are thrilled that you're here. Can we give it up for all of our first time guests today? Wherever you're joining us at one of our campuses, one of our microsites, whether you're watching online here at Greenwood, um, we're excited you're here. If you're not brand new, welcome back. We're starting a brand new series today called Unreasonable. I want to start this way. I want to start with this idea. See if you agree with me. I, th I think that you will. Human beings are happiest when we're making progress. Have you noticed this? We are the most fulfilled, most satisfied in our lives when we're making progress in our life. Whether we're working on you know, improving our health and fitness and we're seeing progress, we're happy. Whether we're making, we're making progress at work, at, at, at the job, and, and we're getting promoted or we got a raise or someone gave us more responsibility. We, know we, we tend to be more happy when we're fulfilled and making progress at work. Uh, we're happy and we're excited when we're making progress, overcoming an addiction or overcoming a problem. We're like, man, I'm, you know, I've got 90 days in my belt or whatever. We're, we're, we're thrilled, we're excited, we're happy. We're, we're, we're happy when we're making progress in a, in a relationship that's move, maybe moving towards marriage and it's like, okay, man, this is great, this is progressing, this is good, this is exciting. And on the flip side of things, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think that we're most unhappy when we're stalled when we're stuck, when, when we're, we're you know, basically you know, caught in a terrible job that we don't see a future for and there's, there's no way to advance and there's no way to make more money and, and, and we're more stuck physically in some bad habits, maybe with eating or bad exercise routine. Or we're, we're the most unhappy when we're stuck in a relationship that just doesn't seem to be going in the right direction. In fact, it's going backwards. We're the most unhappy when we relapse with alcohol or with drugs. We're the 
most discouraged, most sad when we're stuck. See, in your notes, I wrote it like this. I believe that you and I were designed by God to make progress. I really do. And I think the evidence is that we're most happy when we're making progress and we're most sad when we're not. I am the most frustrated in my life when things stall out, when, we, when I get stuck in an area and we cannot move forward, whether that's financially, whether that's here at the church, whether it's something I'm trying to do in my personal life. I'm most frustrated. And it's even more aggravating when we're going backwards. There's a group of Christians in the Bible that were supposed to be making progress and they weren't. And the writer of, of, of the book of Hebrews actually addresses them pretty sharply. And he basically is acting like a coach. And I want you to hear what he says to this group of Christians. He says, you've been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. In other words, you've been in this deal for 10 years. You ought to be small group leaders. You ought to be teaching a class. Some of you ought to be pastors. You, be, you should be discipling and pouring your life into other believers. And you're not. Instead, you're stuck. Someone needs to come back to you again and teach you the basic things about God's word. And then listen to what he says next. This will get you. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. You need a baba. You need someone to rock you to sleep. Like in our culture today, many of us would be offended. Wouldn't we? How dare you say call me a baby? He says, look, you need someone. You got to be put in the high chair. Someone needs to spoon feed you some soft food. You guys should be teaching a class. You should be small group leaders. And some of you, that's true of you. You've, somewhere along the lines, you put your faith in Jesus 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, and, and you're still sitting, receiving, receiving, receiving. You ought to be teaching somebody, discipling somebody, leading a small group, pouring into others, but you're not because something happened. You got stuck, stunted, dwarfed, cannot move forward in our life. You know, this is intuitive for little kids. Like, I, we, my wife and I raised, uh, you know, raising <laughs> uh, three kids. Uh, they're now 17, 18, and 20. And they're still growing. Um, but when they were little, it was so intuitive to expect growth and progress. I, I mean, you, you know, they start out and they're, and they're tiny. And, and, and then, you know, in a few days, they're doing something new. And then they do something new. And they're blinking at you. And they're smiling. And all of a sudden, there's a smile. And then one day, they're saying, dad, dad. And that's awesome. And, and then the next thing you know, they're crawling. And the next thing you know, they're taking a step. And then they're walking. And all of this is expected. It's still exciting, though. But you expect that, right? The smiles, the laughter, the words, the steps. Then all of a sudden, they're adding two plus two and they're doing their ABCs and you're like, that's exciting. It's also expected, right? In other words, what happens when the kids don't learn their ABCs, when they don't take their first step, when they don't start to walk, when they don't start to speak, right? We start calling the who? The doctors. Hey, my kid's behind. Hey, they're not making progress. And so we expect it with children that as they, as they grow, they're, they're, they're every day, every week, something new is happening. But then something happens when, when, when we reach adulthood. When we stop growing physically. I stopped growing physically when I was 18. I got up to about 6'3". I'm still 6'3". It would have been awesome to go to 6'7". I'm going to ask God about that when I die. 6'3", <laughs> by the way, is a tease. It really is. Some, like, some people say, you're so tall. I say, you have no idea how short I am. Six, seven is another thing entirely. Anyway, 
What am I saying? We stop growing physically, and then as adults, we're like, well, then I'll stop growing. Since I stopped growing physically, I'll stop growing emotionally. Many adults are babies. Do you know one? Do you live with one? Emotionally ba- emotional babies? Because they stopped growing when they were 18. Spiritually, babies. Emotionally, babies. Right? Psychologically, babies. Intellectually, babies. Why? Because after all, we stopped growing physically, so we might as well stop growing across the board. Some of you have parents. Some of you, some of you are young here today. You have parents. They're still babies. And you're their child, right? We are the most unhappy when we're not making progress. We're designed to continue to grow all the way through our life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all the way to the point of death. Why do we get stuck? Why do we stop growing? Couple of ideas. There's probably 10, 12, 15 reasons why. We don't have time to talk about all of them. I'm gonna give you what I think the top four are. Number one is fear. We stop growing. We stop making progress because of fear. We're afraid. Fear is powerful. Fear, fear traps us. It holds us back. I was, talking to somebody the, I was talking to somebody the other day that has a friend that hasn't left their house in two years because of fear of COVID. And I understand COVID's real and I understand people have passed, died, and I get it all. But two years, you haven't left your house? How powerful is fear? Oh, it's crippling, right? We're afraid of everything. We're afraid of, you know, snakes and spiders. Come on, people. It's a bug. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are afraid of clowns. Seriously? I mean, if you're going to be afraid of something, at least be afraid of, like, a shark. Like, that's legit. Like, you ever, you ever seen Shark Week? Those things will bite your butt off. I mean, they will. I've seen it. They will come up from underneath and whoosh, and then you have no butt. It's just gone. Or they'll take a leg right off. They do that. You ever seen Jaws? Oh, man. What a movie. Clowns, though, really? But fear, fear is powerful and fear will limit us from doing what? From taking risk. And I'm telling you what, risk is absolutely essential for progress. We talk about the Wright brothers in this series. Every single time they got in their glider and they would get in their glider over and over and over. And then when they put a motor on that thing, they started to fly. Every single time they got in that thing, they were taking the risk of what? Dying. And in fact, they had such a bad accident one time that I think it was Orville, he almost died because they fell from like 50 feet in the air, totally smashed their, their, their glider. But they kept going and going and going because they realized in order to make progress, they had to be willing to take risks. And so do you. But fear holds us back. You know what else holds us back? Voices, voices, voices. Anybody else have voices in your head? Not those voices, not those voices. The voices that come from other people, coaches, parents, friends, teachers. We have these dreams and hopes and all of a sudden these people start coming in and they, they're reasonable people. And they say, hey, calm down, pipe down. You're never going to the NBA. Slow down, buddy. You're never gonna be an astronaut. You're never going to be a race car driver, so just relax, go to college, and get a nine-to-five job. The reasonable, the reasonable voices, you can't do that, you're not smart enough, big enough, tall enough, blah, 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 right? And then we believe these voices, and then number three, we form these things called limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs are come from the voices of the people in our life. You don't know the right people. You don't have the college, right college degree. You don't have the right skin color. You don't all these things. And all of a sudden, we start to form these beliefs in our minds. Oh, you're right. 
I should never start a business. I should never go back to school. I should never be, get my PhD. I should never, why? Because other people told me I shouldn't do it. You know what a limiting belief is, according to Michael Hyatt? He said, a, a limiting belief is a misunderstanding of the present or the misunderstanding of yourself in the present that shortchanges your future. Why does it shortchange your future? Because you fail to take action. You fail to do the things that you need to do in order to fulfill that dream in your life. Wow, limiting beliefs are so, they trap you in the present they, and, and it shortchanges your future. And then, you know what else distracts us? And you know what else stops us? is distractions. I just said that, distractions. The fourth reason why I believe a lot of people get stunted or they stop growing and they fail to make progress is we're so distracted in our world today. You know what one of the main culprits is? This thing right here. With the, 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 the Facebook and the, the Instagram and, 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 you know, by the way, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but I'm not. Ha ha ha. I have an assistant. And she runs that for me. So I don't see anything, nothing, okay? So I, make, I take a post, I tell her to post this, she posts it. So if you try to talk to me on that, it's not me. Anyway, um, some of you are very discouraged right now. That's okay. I don't want to be distracted, right? I do tweet from time to time, but that's about it. But I'm not on TikTok. I'm not scrolling on all these different things. Why? Because it's a major distraction. I don't have time for that. I'm reading Rick Pitino's new book right now. I know he's kind of a bit of a, a um, you know, interesting character, but he's a great basketball coach. And he's got a new book out called The One Day Contract. He's talking about how he's recruiting all these freshmen out of high school, these fantastic basketball players to play for him. And, and he said that when, and when he gets a recruit that comes in and he's, that recruit's just like tweeting and TikToking and blah, 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 you know, selfieing and all that stuff, he does not offer a scholarship. And the reason why he says this in the book, he says, that kid's distracted and he'll never play for me. Do you know there's a rule for college athletes right now that they're not allowed to tweet in season? Because it's such a distraction. Dr. Jim Taylor wrote a book called Raising Generation Tech. Listen to what he said. There's a growing body of evidence that technology, social media, immediate access to the internet, and smartphones are hurting kids' ability to focus, which is absolutely true, but it's also true for adults. Rick Pitino in his book said, the average person now cannot read four pages of a book without getting a notification, without checking a status, sending a picture, making a post. We can't read four pages of a book because we lack focus. And I'm telling you what, if you lack focus, you'll never make progress because progress requires complete focus. We talked about Michael Phelps a couple of weeks ago. The guy has the most gold medals of all time of any, any Olympic athlete. He was in the pool for hours every single day for five years in a row, never missed one day, 365 days a year for five, day, for five years in a row. No wonder the guy broke all the records. But the average person, like me, like you, we struggle with fear. We struggle with voices. We struggle with limiting, limiting beliefs. We struggle with distractions. And when we do that, we cave into these things, guess what it leads to? It leads to this idea or this thing called average. Average. I hate that word average. Anybody else? Average. It's just kind of like in the middle. It's not excellent, it's not 
terrible. There's nothing to get too excited about and there's nothing really to cry about. It's just kind of there, blah. When you were growing up as a little kid, did you ever think about your, your life and be like, I can't wait to grow up and have a, a blah life, <laughs> a C plus family, a C minus marriage. Oh, I can't wait for that. Average, hate the word average. Here's why, in your notes, I wrote it like this. Average results in unfulfilled potential. God has put you on this earth to do amazing things. God has put you on this earth to become an amazing person. But that takes a lot of effort and a lot of focus and a lot of risk. But when we give in to fear and the voices and the limiting beliefs and the distractions, we never become the people we were created to be and we never do the things we were put on this planet to do. Hello, anybody listening? unfulfilled potential. We go to all the way to the end of our life with a lot of regrets and I wish I would have and I wish I could have because we settled for average. Average doesn't produce great marriages. Oh no. You never see a great marriage with average effort. Takes a lot of effort and focus and learning and humility and constant attention and cultivation. Jackie and I are getting on a plane right after this message. We're going down to Cancun. That's right. No children. If I took the kids, it'd be a trip, right? We're putting time and effort and money into our marriage. We don't want an average marriage. We want an excellent marriage. We want an A-plus marriage. Does average ever produce a gold medal? Does average ever produce a Fortune 500 company? Does average ever win a championship? Does average ever produce great children? Does what? No, right? All of the things that we want require way more effort and energy than average. You hate average, you do, you do. Let me prove it to you. Here's how I know you hate average. Let's just say, for example, you're going on a nice little romantic date with your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whoever. Nobody says to each other when that happens, hey, you know what? Where's that average restaurant? <laughs> I just, let's hit that one up. And when we, they got the average waitress. Remember that average waitress, that average waiter? Oh, we love her, we love him. No, you don't. They got that average steak there. Remember that? Oh, man, that was so good. No, it wasn't. I know. Let's hit up Ponderosa. That's just, let's just go, let's just go there. That's it. That average service, average meat, average. The, we, you don't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't do that, right? You, and then after dinner, you don't say, you know what? Let's go pay $16 for that average movie. Remember that? It just came out. It just came out. Let's go pay top dollar and watch an average movie. You don't say that, do you? You hate average. Someone in your family gets sick and they need a doctor. Hey, let's call up that average doctor. You know what I mean? Remember that one that's just kind of like graduated with a C in medical school? Let's call him up. You don't say that, right? Someone gets diagnosed with cancer in your family. Who's that average oncologist? You know, the one that just barely made it through school. You know, let's have him, let's have her deal with the cancer in our family's, family member's body. Someone in your family gets pregnant. Let's get that average OBGYN. You know, not the good one. We're just having an average baby, so we just need an average doctor to have an average delivery. <laughs> Is that what we do? No, it's like, who's the best OBGYN? 
Who's the best oncologist to deal with this cancer? Who's, where's it, right? You like A plus stuff, yes or no? You hate average, I do too. Why are you settling for average? If you like it in other people, if you like it at restaurants and doctors and you want the best lawyer or you want the best this, then why are you settling for average? Why are you giving in to fear? Why are you listening to the voices in your, all around you and forming limiting beliefs and playing small in your life and getting distracted? Why? This series is about pushing you. I, I, listen, listen, I'm your pastor and I love you and I, I really do. But I love you enough to push you. There's places you ought to be. Remember what Hebrews says? You ought to be teaching others by now but yet you still need someone to give you soft baby food, right? So, so that's a pastor saying to his people, hey, you ought to be further along and you're not, why? Well, I'm gonna talk to you about why. And I'm gonna talk to you about how, how to break through. You see, if you wanna break through fear and limiting beliefs and voices and distractions, in your notes, I wrote it like this. This is kind of the first idea. You must become unreasonable. You gotta be a little bit crazy. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but when you see people doing amazing things in this world, they are a little bit. <laughs> Have you noticed? Have you followed Elon Musk lately? Have you seen anything? I think the latest thing is I think he's living in a tiny house now. I mean, what's wrong with this guy? But yet he's sending rockets to space and he's creating electric cars and, you know, the guy's changing the world. He's unreasonable. It's a great quote by George Bernard Shaw. He said this, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. In other words, the world kind of shapes him and forms him into this little box of what you should do and shouldn't do. That's what the world will do with ideas and fear and all that stuff. But the unreasonable person persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. He says, no, 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 I'm not gonna fit into the, world, the, the mold of the world. The world is gonna fit into my mold. This is like the Martin Luther King Juniors of the world, the Henry Ford. The, this is the people like Steve Jobs. You know what I'm talking about? Like the world is gonna to conform to my ideas. Therefore, all progress in the world is, it depends on the unreasonable person who will not hear the voices and cave in to the fears and, and form the limiting beliefs and then stay in their little shoebox life. You, you feel what I'm saying? Unreasonable people. Remember when you were a little kid? I do. When I was a little kid, uh, I just remember dreaming about playing for the Yankees. Ah, Don Mattingly, you know, Dave Winfield. Anybody Yankee fan back in the late 80s? No? Okay, I'm by myself. That's all right. We got like one person over here at the Greenwood campus anyway. I just wanted to be a, I, Ricky Henderson. I wanted to steal bases like him. I wanted to hit home runs like Dave Winfield. And, you know, every little kid's got a big dream. In fact, right now, if you just think back in, when you were a little kid, six, seven, eight, nine years old, didn't you have like this crazy, awesome, silly, unreasonable dream, right? Like, what, 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 we, we rarely do this, but what were some of, the, some of your dreams when you were a little kid? What did you want to be? Just call it out. All of our campuses right now. I know I'm not live everywhere. I mean, I am live, but I'm not there. What did you want to be? Somebody in the first service at nine o'clock said, I wanted to be a, 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 a jockey on a racehorse. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, you're six foot five, so it didn't work out, but that's... <laughs> what did you want to be? Olympic swimmer. What was that? A pilot. Astronaut. Yeah. Batman. 
<laughs> there you go. And we had these crazy dreams. And, and I did too. I had them too. And then here's what happens as we, you know, we get like nine or 10, 11 years old. Guess what happens to our dreams? Well, some reasonable person steps in and says, honey, you can't be Batman. Simmer down. You can't be an astronaut. We don't have enough money. We can't send you to school. You can't be a race car driver. We don't live close to car, you know, a racetrack. So a lot of times it's a parent, friend, coach. And what happens as, over time is that our, our dreams start to shrink and they become reasonable. What would have happened if the Wright brothers would have listened? Because you know, if you know the story, everyone and their mother was trying to communicate to these guys, you're barking up the wrong tree. Here's the quote that they heard more times than they can count. If God wanted man to fly, he would have given him wings. You're gonna kill yourself. You're gonna kill others. You're silly. You're stupid. They mocked the brothers relentlessly. They wrote things about them in the newspapers and published them to make fun of them. They, they, they were so, they had so many voices coming at them saying, this is not good. You should not do this. And they did not cave. They almost did a couple of times. In fact, one of the brothers, Wilbur, got so down and discouraged one time that he wrote this to his brother Orville. Not in a thousand years will man ever fly. Everything they tried was failing, 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 crash, 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 failing, failing. All the calculations were off one day. They almost threw in the towel. But they refused to give in. Here's why, in your notes. Unreasonable people believe the impossible. I know I'm asking a lot of you today, but I'm asking you to, I'm asking you to, to, to do something that, that, that is just a little bit crazy. I'm asking you, and I believe God is asking you to believe the, the impossible because we serve a God who does the impossible. Amen? Amen? There's nothing that is impossible without him. You know, there's a lot of stories in the Bible that, 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 that reveal this idea. I just want to go through one of, it, one of them real quick, if you'll, if you'll hang with me. Genesis chapter 17, God tells a man named Abraham that he's going to give him this thing called the promised land. You with me? Yes or no? Yes? Yes? Hang with me. And, and Abraham's like confused because he doesn't have an heir. Well, God gives him an heir, Isaac, through whom he's going to bless you know, uh, his whole family and give him this land. So Abraham has a son named Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. We just talked about Esau in the last series. Remember, he sold his birthright to, to his brother Jacob because Jacob was a little, little sneaky guy. Anyway, Jacob has 12 sons, and one of those sons is Joseph. Remember the story, Genesis 36, 7, 38, 39? Long story short, Joseph and his family have to go to Egypt because there's this massive famine. So they go to Egypt and they, they, everything's great under their, they got this friendship with Pharaoh because Joseph was elevated to number two in the land. It's this whole big story I don't have time to get into. But then Pharaoh dies and the new king of Egypt turns on Joseph, turns on the family and essentially enslaves the entire Israelite nation and they become the slaves of the Egyptians for 400 years. Finally, they're crying out to God, asking God to rescue them from this slavery. God raises up a guy named Moses. Good, we call him Big Mo here at the church, right? 
Big Mo goes in and, 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 and he's got you know, God's power on him. The 10 plagues happen. Then finally Pharaoh listens. He lets the people go and the Red Sea parts. Big Mo takes the people through. The Red Sea closes up. All the Egyptians die. You gotta read the Old Testament. It's fantastic. <laughs> and now they're through the Red Sea. They're on the other side. And now they're ready to go into this promised land that God told Abraham 500 years earlier he would do. Sometimes you gotta wait a long time for the promises of God to come about. And that's where we pick up the story. Numbers chapter, uh, sorry, that's what, that's what God told Abraham. Sorry, I skipped that part. Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, the promised land which I am giving to the Israelites. So Moses gets 12 spies, 12 uh, leaders, uh, one of each tribe, and he sends them into the promised land to kind of look out and spy it out. They come back and they're like, man, this 10 of them, 10 of them are like, this is, this is incredible. This, this land is awesome. They have this, this fruit and they're like, look at the grapes from this place. It's some land flowing with milk and honey. It's gonna be fantastic. But, watch this, verse 28. The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified with walls and they're very large. And we even saw the descendants of Anak there. If you, have ever, if you ever wonder where Shaquille O'Neal came from, I'm just kidding. No, but Goliath is, a, is from this, there's this race of giants, the descendants of Anak. And they're like, here's what, basically, here's my translation. This is not a good idea. The land's great, milk, honey, fruit, awesome, big people, big walls, not a good idea. Listen to what Caleb says in response. He's one of the spies. And Joshua says this as well. Caleb's kind of seeing the situation because all the people are there and Moses is there and everybody's listening. He begins to see the, the things. People are going negative. They're starting to become fearful. Caleb silences the people before Moses says, hey, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Another translation let's go, says, let's go up now, right now, because we can do this. Caleb is a bit unreasonable. Do you agree? There's something wrong with Caleb. And so the guys respond and they're like, uh-uh, this ain't gonna work. So look what they say. They, they press down, they double down. The 10 spies say this, we can't attack these people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread this rumor among the Israelites, this bad report about the land that they explored. Listen, they said the land, we, the land that we explored devours all who are living in it. The people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Those are the giants. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And then watch this. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We saw ourselves as little insects and we looked the same to them. What are they saying? There's no way this is going to work out. We are done. This is a terrible idea. Let's be reasonable about this. And you know what? Most of the people agreed with the 10 spies. And most people disagreed with Joshua and Caleb. In fact, in fact, in chapter 14, verse nine, Caleb tries one more time. Listen to what he says in chapter 14, verse nine. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. He's a little crazy. How are you going to devour them? This is an impossible mission. Think about it. Think about it. These people live in a fortified city. They're battle tested. They're eight, nine feet tall, right? 
And think about the Israelites. They have no swords, no shields. They're basically former slaves. They just came out of Egypt. They've never fought a battle. There's no military force. They've got no horses, right? How are they gonna fight? And yet Caleb is saying, we will devour them. A little crazy. He says, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You know what unreasonable people do? Unreasonable people choose to trust in what God has said. They don't look at the situation and think, oh my gosh, these, you look at these walls, look at the, how tall these people are, look at how strong they are. They don't look at the situation. They look at what God has promised. Why? Because God is the God of the impossible. You say, well, how do I believe the impossible? Well, you have to stop looking at the circumstances. You have to stop listening to the voices all around you. You have to stop thinking about all the fear that you have in your life. You have to stop forming those limiting beliefs in your life and rather look at what has God said? What has God said about your life? What is God calling you to do? And that's where we focus because if God has told you to do something, if he's told you to start a business, if he's told you to forgive somebody, if he's told you to, 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 to follow his uh, example and generosity, whatever he's told you to do, you focus on what God has said, not on the probabilities or the circumstances around you. And when we do that, we're setting ourselves up to be and, and do all that God has created us to be and do. Well, Caleb, I'm sure, gave a great talk. I'm sure it was awesome. And, and I'm sure that, that he gave it with passion and he tried, do not fear and all this stuff, but it didn't work because all the people there sided with the 10 spies. And you know what the consequences were? Some of you know, because you read the Old Testament, what were the consequences? Everyone in that meeting that day who was over the age of 20 went into the promised land, went into the, to the wilderness for 40 years. Well, Everybody went into the wilderness for 40 years, but everyone who was over the age of 20 in the wilderness did what? They died. That was their punishment. They were not allowed to enter into the promised land. You see, average equals or results in unfulfilled potential. The only people that were able to go into the promised land were people who were teenagers at that particular time. Oh, and by the way, Caleb and Joshua. Listen to Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. But because my servant Caleb had a, a different spirit, he didn't have an average spirit, he had an A plus spirit. And because he follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to. His descendants will inherit it. Who got to go in? The person who believed in what God said. The person who believed that God was the God of the impossible. See, if you want to be an unreasonable person, you have to believe that the impossible is actually possible. I know this sounds crazy. I know it does. But I do it all the time in my life. I believe, I believe with all my heart that one day our church will reach, will reach 20,000 people. I really do. I believe that. You say, man, there's only like two, three churches in the country doing that. I know, I know. But I just, I just believe it. Right now, we're the 31st fastest growing church in America. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. We're actually falling a little bit behind because in 2019, we're the, we were the fourth fastest growing church. So come on, let's pick it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Invite your friends. I'm just kidding. But I just believe that. I just believe in the next 10 years, we could reach 20,000. It's impossible. 
How could you think that? Well, it's not about me and it's not about you and it's not about the circumstances. It's about the God who's called us to be on a relentless pursuit to pursue our friends who are far from God. If we do that, we're just gonna continue to reach more and more people. Just believe in what God has said. My question to you today is, will you? Will you trust what God has said in your life? What has he put on your heart? What's the thing that he's told you? Maybe, maybe you've read it from the scriptures. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's not big and audacious. Maybe it's just, hey, you need to forgive that person. I don't want to. And you know, if I forgive them and they're gonna think it's okay. And it, but God said it. Don't look at the circumstances and the probabilities and how big the walls are and how big the people are. Don't, don't, don't do that. Just look at what God has said. What, is, what has he told you to do? And then, and then trust him in it. And I guarantee you will become and do the thing that God has created you to do. What does he put, what does he put on your heart? Start something, solve something, be part of something, serve somewhere, give something away. What, what has he told you to do? Start a business? Maybe he's calling you to be a, in the ministry? I, I don't know. I don't know. Years ago, when I was 19, God told me clearly, not in an audible voice, I just want you to tell people about Jesus. I was like, that's awesome because I love Jesus and I love to tell people about him. <laughs> so he didn't tell me I was gonna be a pastor. He just told me that I want you to tell people about my son. And so I was, I was like 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. And that has led to me becoming a pastor. And that's important because being a pastor is not easy. Uh, especially being a pastor of a larger church. It's, not, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very weird, challenging, difficult, crazy thing. Um, and a lot of pastors who are pastors of larger churches don't make it. And I'm sure if you're paying attention to the news, you've heard about pastors that have had to resign because of burnout or a moral failure or they've committed adultery or they've done something immoral. And I understand that because it's very challenging and it's very difficult. And I'm like, well, why do I even do this? Why, 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 why lead a church? What, when it's so hard and it's so challenging, and it's, so, it's because I'm trusting in what God has said. God asked me years ago, he said, I just want you to tell people about Jesus. And so in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of raising money and doing this and you know, managing problems and difficulties and you know, families that are falling apart and people that are struggling with all kinds of problems and addictions in the midst of all of that stuff. It's like, well, I'm gonna keep doing this because God asked me to tell people about Jesus. So I'm about to do that right now. In the next few moments, I'm about to fulfill my calling, what God asked me to do in my life. And in doing this, I'm reaching my potential as a human being and I'm fulfilling the purpose of why God put me on this planet at such a time as this. So pay attention. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, the Bible says, for God the Father made Christ the Son who never sinned. It's very important. Jesus lived a sinless life he was tempted just like we were, but never sinned. God the Father made Christ the Son, the spotless Lamb of God, to be the offering for our sin. It's so interesting. 
What's that all about? Well, you and I are born into this world separated from God. The curse came from Adam and Eve. We come into this world sinful beings. But that wasn't God's plan for us, to be separated from him. He loved us. And so what he had to do is he had to kind of solve this problem. He had to sort of punish sin, but also do something to be back in a relationship with us. Here's what's interesting about God. He is 100% love. He really is. God is love. The Bible teaches us that. But he's also just, which means he can't just look the other way when we sin. He can't just kind of turn a blind eye and say, oh, well, I love everybody. So then, you know, don't worry about sin. Like, if that were the case, we will see Adolf Hitler in heaven. I don't think he's going to be there. Because God does not turn a blind eye from sin. He punishes sin. Why? Because he's a just judge. Can you imagine a judge in a, in a, in a, in a courtroom that no matter what the case is, the guilty or the person who's being accused goes free no matter what? No matter what's said? We would say that would be an unjust judge. And so what does God do to kind of balance this, this, these two tensions between his justice and his love? He offers Christ, his son, as the offering for sin. See, you and I were supposed to pay for sin. It's my sin. I should have died on the cross. You should have died on the cross because we are the sinners. But because God loves us, he has Christ die in our place. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that's the purpose of life. To come back and to be reconciled to the Father by receiving the, receiving the forgiveness of sins offered to us through Christ. Does this make sense? You see, this isn't about church organized religion, as some of you call it. I hear a lot of people say, well, I won't go there. I invite people to church all the time. Oh, I don't do organized religion. Well, I'm not, I don't do, I don't, I don't either. <laughs> it's good, it's gonna be a great match because I don't like organized religion either. But what I do is I talk to people about how to be made right with God through Christ. I talk to people about how to receive the forgiveness of sins offered through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. I talk to people about how, about knowing God and walking with him and living with him and dwelling with him, with him and experiencing his presence. Not church or organized religion, but fellowship with God. Oh, I, oh, that's what it's like? I say, yeah, that's what it's like. We learn how to follow him. Okay, I'll, I'll check that out. How about you? Maybe you stumbled in today. Somebody invited you. And for the last five minutes, something just clicked with you. That God wants to know you and he's made a way to dispose of your sins so that you can be in fellowship with himself through Christ. If that just clicked with you, this moment is yours. Do business with God. Reach out to him right now and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Receive Christ as your savior. Place your faith in him today and you'll become his child. If you feel led to pray right now, I'll pray this prayer. Pray with me. Take these words, silently make them your own. Reach out to God. Say this to him. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for being the offering for my sin, for canceling the debt I owed, paying the penalty held against me, I trust you today. I place my faith in you today. I ask you to forgive me, wash my soul, cleanse my spirit. 
be my savior. I believe in you. And from this day forward, teach me to trust in what you have said that I might become the person you made me to be and do all that you created me to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? Come on, nice and loud, all of our locations. If you trusted in Christ, wherever you are, whatever campus you're at, watching online here at Greenwood, text the word SAVE to 65248 if you just prayed that prayer. And we will put one of these boxes in your hands at the information desk at your campus. Inside this box, there's a Bible. We want you to start reading it. There's a reading plan in there. There's a, uh, uh, some instructions on how to get connected to a small group, baptism, and also a coffee mug in here. We love coffee here at Emmanuel. We just want to say congratulations. So text the word SAVE to 65248. If you're watching online, give us a little bit more information and we'll send one to you in the mail. Was this a blessing to you today, guys? Amen. You have got to be unreasonable. You have to believe in the God of the impossible. You have to trust in what he has said. And when we do that, we'll bust through fear. We'll bust through the voices in our head, the limiting beliefs and all the distractions. And we will make progress. Let me pray for us and I'll hand things off to the local teams. Father, we love you. You made us to make progress. You created us and designed us to move things forward in our personal lives, in our communities, and in our world. Help us to be courageous. Help us to believe the impossible. Help us to trust in what you have said in the same way that Caleb did, in the same way Joshua did, in the same way the Wright brothers believed the impossible. Help us to do so. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Right now, I'm going to hand things off to the local teams. Love you guys. We'll see you soon.